Good evening, everyone. Great to see you here, and I'm really excited about being with you this evening at the 5.30. It's my first time ever preaching in the evening at any C3 event, so I'm particularly excited about this. And we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 18. You know we've been doing a series called God Sweeps. You know it's been good. And um, it's all looking at the book of Proverbs. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom for my life. And um, I hope that as I share today, God's going to be depositing some wisdom into your heart that will help you with life. And you may have heard that we're doing this competition alongside this to do with writing some nice pithy statements about maybe something interesting or thought-provoking that you've learnt from this series on Twitter. And I would love to help you win a competition that we're doing because every, the person who has the most retweeted and favorited tweet get some sort of prize. Now, I hear that Steve's bike is going to be signed and given away to someone in this room. So I'd love it if I could help you out, get this bike off him. So follow me on this. And every tweet you make about this preach tonight, I'm going to retweet it and favorite it. And hopefully loads of other people will. So Steve will be bikeless. I think that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? So why don't we pray? Father, we thank you that you are with us tonight. And we thank you for your presence. And We want to delve deep into your word. I just pray, God, that you'll speak to every single one of us, that you'll miss out no one in this room. Speak deep to our hearts and give us wisdom, we pray. Amen. Just before I got up, I just felt God drop a word in my heart, and I saw a picture of a gutter, and I feel there's someone in this room who feels like their life is in a gutter. And you feel like you're unnoticed and that you're worthless. But I feel God wants to say to you that he notices you. And though you may feel that your life is in a gutter, he sees you. He knows you by name. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. And if that's where you're at right now, I'd like to pray for you afterwards. Is that okay? Might be just someone in this room. I want to start by reading you a story You know, the last words you hear someone say in their life on earth can be powerful. I've treasured words of loved ones, the final words they've said, probably more than many of the words they've said over their life. And sometimes those words are precious, and occasionally those words bring great sadness. And I'd love to read to you from this little book about my friend Rob. And Rob was a naughty kid at school. He did bad things. He was suspended several times, and eventually he was expelled. He decided to go work for his dad, who was a roofer, so he went into his dad's business. He got involved in drugs. He got involved in prison, and he was trying to clean up his life several years later. And we pick up his story here in his book, chapter 5, which is not the Bible. And it says here, it was the 20th of July, 2000. And I'd been working on a roof in Stevenage. It was a really hot day, and I knew my dad was under a lot of pressure to get the job done. He was in a bad mood, and I decided that I'd do all that I could to get the job finished. It was a simple roof, really, a straight up and over with one chimney and four verges, but it had old double Roman tiles on it, and these things were not light. In fact, they were real backbreakers, but I wanted to help my dad, and so I went for it bombing the tiles straight off the roof into the open lorry below. It was, I was at it all day while Dad's two tilers were laying the new tiles on the other side. He used, we used to have a real laugh at work, the three of us. We got on really well. 
But today, I was on a mission. So I got stuck in. You see, Dad had been unwell for some time. His heart was really bad. And I'd been living in fear that he was going to die and leave me. I loved my dad so much. He was my hero. But on that particular Thursday afternoon, he was being really sharp and nasty. He'd often be like that when he was under pressure at work, or if he wasn't feeling well. Dad didn't know how to rest, so, he was having, so when he was having bad chest pains, he'd try to shrug them off, pop a few painkillers in his mouth, along with a sedative to calm him down, and carry on with whatever needed doing. But I could always tell. I could see the fear in his eyes that he was going to die. I'd become used to seeing fear in people's eyes, but this was different. He looked really scared, and that really scared me. Dad told me to get into the lorry and go with him to empty it at the yard in Welling. I hopped in, pleased with myself and the work that I'd done that afternoon. I thought I'd at least be congratulated, but the thanks never came. What came out of his mouth, I won't repeat, but it wasn't nice. He was shouting and swearing at me all the way. And normally I'd be shouting back, but this time I didn't. I was really scared that he was going to have a heart attack. And I pleaded with him to calm down. For a minute he did, and then he pulled into a petrol station to fill up. He asked me which side the petrol cap was on, and I looked out of my window. I was sure I could see it on my side, but after he positioned the lorry, he discovered it was on the opposite side. After totally losing it, the last thing my dad said to me that day, and indeed the last thing he ever said to me, was that I was a useless the rest of the journey seemed to take forever. I ignored him all the way there and all the way home. I jumped out of the lorry as he pulled up at our house, and he drove off to price up some more jobs. It was the last time I was to see my dad alive. Our words have power. And of course, for Rob, sadly, these words led him back down that dark path he'd once been down into a life of crime and drugs. Thankfully, one day he got saved. And as I was reading through the book of Proverbs, and particularly in Proverbs 18, I realized how much is to do with our mouth. In verse 2, it says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Verse 4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters, the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Or another way of saying is that our words come from deep within us. They tell what's going on in the heart. Verse 6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Now whenever I read this, and when I've read it over and over again this week, I can't help but think of a guy called Jason, who I grew up with. He was two years younger than me. He was half my height, which made him very small. He had bright blonde hair. He struggled at school. And you'd see him in the school playground with a massive backpack, half the size of him, walking around like this with the weight of it, and shouting at people, and like just pointing at people, and shouting abuse to them, saying things like, come on, if you're hard enough. And he'd just walk up to the biggest guys and, and goad them all the Way. And then, guess what? Four guys pick him up by the scruff of his neck, carry him to the school bin, and gleefully wheel him off to the school incinerator, where he never was to return. Jason was like this guy in Proverbs. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Verse 7 says, a fool's mouth is his ruin, 
and his lips are a snare to his soul. Verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Verse 19, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. And then we read verse 20, which says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Or another version might say this, he will be full of what he speaks, or he will be satisfied by the consequences of his words, or the right words bring satisfaction. And then we get to what's going to be the cornerstone for this preach, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who live it, who love it, will eat its fruits. Power. We have the power to choose death or life. You know, God spoke to the tribe of Israel in the Old Testament of the Bible, and He said these words to them in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. God is very clear about the options that he sets before us. And we can choose life or we can choose death. The word translated power, another meaning for it in the Hebrew is hand, as in putting something in the hand to action. So to about a week, a week ago, I was playing this event in Cambridge, and um, Judah was there playing with me and a few others in the team. And I have a lot of equipment in my car whenever I go to any gig. And um, I was gradually getting the stuff out, and Judah came to help me. My car locks very quickly, spontaneously, and the alarm suddenly goes off, um, which is really annoying. And so I gave Judah, in putting his hand, the key of my car. And that gave him power for life to help me move my stuff in, or death, to drive off with that car and smash it up against a bridge. Thankfully, he chose life because I wouldn't have a car. And our tongue is the same thing. Our tongue is like the hand of our mouth, ready to action, ready to do good or to do evil. You know, we live in a word system. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. We read that we are saved by hearing the word of God and then speaking out words. We read the word of God. We are baptized in water on the confession of our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We will enjoy the advantages and the disadvantages of life by our speech. And I think all of us in this room want to live in the goodness and the blessing of God, right? We all want to live in the goodness of God because he's got so much blessing for us. But speaking life is really 
hard, right? Now, I know some of you in this room, personally, I find this hard. I know some of you are wired to speak life, but the rest of you are British, (laughs) and so your struggle is the same as mine, right? But the encouraging thing is, the more we practice this, the more it becomes a part of us, the more it becomes normal to us. And rather than saying, that's just the way I am, that's just how I speak, no, this is the kingdom way of speaking. This is the faith way of speaking. So let's look again at this passage. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Point number one, very simple. Death is in the power of the tongue. This is, if you put in brackets, the negative. When I was 15, I grew up in a a church which was quite upbeat. Um, We had a great youth group. We had about 30 people, which was a lot in the church size that we were. And every single Sunday night, we had a band that would lead us in worship. There was a, a tall Swedish guy who used to lead us in worship week in, week out, and he was brilliant. And I wanted to be just like him. He was about 16, 17. He had this great guitar, and I was inspired by him. And he led us into the presence of God week after week after week. Then when he went off to uni, there was another guy called Phil, and he did the same. And he was brilliant, and he led worship week after week after week. And so I started to begin to pick up the guitar and tap my foot fervently on the floor of my bedroom, which annoyed my mum in the kitchen below, again and again and again. And it got to the time when Phil had to leave for uni, and I put my hand up to have a go at leading worship. I felt the call of God, I felt really passionate about it, and I felt like God wanted to use me. A few weeks or months in, the youth pastor of our church pulled me aside and he had a word with me. And I'm sure his intentions were right and I'm sure his heart was to see me do well. But he basically told me that I couldn't sing and I couldn't play the guitar very well. But the words that I couldn't sing particularly played on me, not just for a few months, but for many years. It kind of destroyed my confidence. And anyone who has got into singing, you'll know that singing is a confidence thing. If you're confident and you sing, you're going to sound better than if you're shy and and you're going to sing. It's just the way it works. It's part of your body and part of who you are. And for years, I lived with this doubt, though I prayed about it, though I kind of tried to break it off me, I lived with this doubt about my voice. For years. Even when I became the worship pastor in a church called C3, I still doubted my voice. And I still felt it was a questionable part of my musical gifting. It's amazing how words have power, isn't it? And how they can live with you, words of death. Two years ago, we were invited to this leadership event. There were maybe 30 to 40 leaders there. And um, Jeff Lucas, our friend, was there. And Jeff's great. Anyone who's heard him, you know how great he is. But he's the same off the stage as he is on it. He's a great guy. And he was sharing. And I found out a week before that there was this guy who was my youth pastor who was going to be there. My old youth pastor was going to be there. And I dreaded it. Every single day, I got more and more nervous. And I wished I could back out of it. But I knew I couldn't. And so I prayed. I probably fasted. And um, I prepared as best I could for this worship set. I led worship. And if anyone's led worship in front of leaders, which probably most of you haven't, but it's the toughest crowd because they just want to get on with the word. They don't want to listen to worship. 
Even Steve gets bored of worship in those settings. And so I did my best. No angels came into the room as far as I knew. No one was slain in the spirit. It was just okay. And I was happy that it was okay because I was just glad it was done. And I sat down and Jeff showed his first session and his second session. And then he paused before he began his next session. And he said, Pete, I just want to thank you for what you did today. It was really great. And Jeff's really nice. He says that to a lot of people. Um, so I was just like, yeah, thanks. That's kind. You're a good man. He said a few nice words. And then he said, and I just want to say this. You have got an amazing voice. And as he said those words, particularly in front of this other guy, something inside of me broke. And it was like this weight of years fell off me. And I became a new person. He had no idea what was happening. In fact, we talked afterwards and I told him the story and he said, well, I felt embarrassed to even say that because I felt I was going to be patronizing because of course you've got a good voice. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's not how I felt in that moment. It's amazing how the power of words of life can break off words of death that have lingered for years. Isn't God good? With our lips, we can kill something. We can put to death a dream. We can end a relationship knowing we're going to hurt the other person. We can curse someone. We can verbally abuse people. We can destroy people's confidence. We can gossip and backbite, killing off someone's reputation. And I wonder how many times we have stupidly believed the worst in someone because of another person's gossip. You see, I believe it's not really up to us to raise or to lower someone's reputation. That's God's job because God looks at the heart. In Proverbs 26 verse 20, it says very clearly, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. And I realize gossip for some of you really isn't an issue. You just don't do it. It's not your thing. You don't do it. But for others in this room, I believe gossip is a major character flaw in your life. And of course it doesn't happen in church. We never talk about anything that happens in church or other people in the church, do we? Certainly not in this service. Certainly maybe the 11.30 or the 9.30, but we don't do it, do we? We're good Christians. We, we like to talk life all the time. I want to be vulnerable with you. I can say it's a major character flaw for some of you in this room because... It was a major character flaw for me. When I was 22, I was in a job where there was this guy, and this guy from, became mildly irritating to me to start with. He walked into a room, and you know those people who changed the atmosphere of the room negatively in a second? Who was that guy? I got more and more frustrated. I got more and more... <sighs> Like nothing was going to happen. Why is this guy like this? How can he can't see that it's like this? The more I got irritated, the more I started to talk about him to other people. The more I talked about him, the more I talked to others about him. I complained about him to my boss. I expected bad things of him. I looked at the worst of him and spoke about it. I became more and more agitated and frustrated with this man. I didn't like him very much. And one day, a day I won't forget in my life, we were doing a staff retreat away and there was quite a lot of staff members from the region there. And I just got into the conversation and started to really slate him and say things I wish I had never said, saying things about his character, saying things about 
All sorts. Stuff that was true and probably stuff that wasn't true. And the walls were wafer thin. And he heard every word on the other side of that wall. I had no idea. He came up to me a month later and confronted me on it. And I felt this big. I was so ashamed. I felt sick. Not that I'd been caught, but the fact that I'd said those words about him. I felt ashamed. And of course, I had to say, of course, every single thing I said was true. I said everything. That day, something changed in my life. And I realized I couldn't live like this anymore. I'm not proud of it. I'm ashamed of it. I don't even like talking about it. I didn't want to preach about it. But I feel if this can help one of you in this room, I'm willing to share something a little bit personal in my life. Gossip is like a drug. It's addictive. It's habit-forming. And often pride and judgment and a lack of self-control are attached to it. Let's just call it what it is. Gossip becomes a habit. And it's a real issue when you get caught in the middle of it. It's so hard to change. But change is possible. And if you're in this place where you know this applies to you, let me encourage you with a verse that has really helped me out, that I've tried to meditate on and think about and ponder on. It's Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Because what we meditate on becomes the things that we start to speak about. And here's a tip that um, Brian Houston, who's a senior pastor of Hillsong Church in London, often says. He says, believe the best in people. And then he says these words, which really have helped me over the last couple of years to, to work through this stuff. We cannot judge motives or the heart. We have no right to judge motives or the heart. But we can assess track record. If you're a boss and you're, you're having difficulties with someone, I'd encourage you to not judge the motives of the heart, but you can assess track record and make decisions on that track record of that person. If you're around people who like to indulge in gossip, walk away. Let's become a little bit wiser because we seek wisdom, don't we? In this series, we're seeking wisdom. Let's become a little bit wiser about what we hear and not just believe every single word people say. There's all sorts of filters that we may hear these words through. And see these things through. And sometimes we need to actually go back to the source and say, is this actually true? And Father, we pray that you'll forgive us for the times when we've destroyed people's reputations because of the taste of gossip in our mouths being too tasty. Point number two, and this is the same point pretty much. Death is in the power of the tongue. But this is the positive with our light, with our lips, we have the opportunity to actually end things positively. If you leave a job for a better job, you're actually saying no to something to say yes to something else. That is positive. Standing up to abuse and saying no more is positive. What about campaigning for justice or highlighting injustices in the world? And then we use the tongue rightly to resist the devil. In James 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think as Christians, we're really good at the submitting to God. 
but we forget to resist the devil and we wonder why we have troubles and problems sometimes in our lives that don't go away. I'd suggest to you sometimes we forget to resist the devil. It's very clear in the Bible, submit to God, resist the devil, and guess what? He will flee from us according to his word. There's power in our tongues to kill off things that we rightfully should kill off. I believe there's a time and a place to use words to resist things, to end the enemy's camp and the enemy's oppression. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 18, verse 18. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind in heaven on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I remember maybe six years ago, Lizzie and I were walking up and down the streets of Camden, and I was, I was playing a gig. I was um, playing some sort of acoustic night, and we just were walking and talking. There was quite a bit of time before I was meant to be on stage. And so we're walking up and down, and we began praying about the night, and praying that God will move, and that, praying that maybe someone will turn up, and praying that, you know, God's going to use us tonight. And um, as we were walking, we became very aware of this presence behind us. Someone was walking really close, like so close, they were like trying to flat tire me. And um, London's busy, right? So there's people all around you anyway. But it felt like this person was almost on top of us. And we turned around, and I remember the look in this lady's eyes, and she glared at me with a darkness that I've rarely seen in someone, and just muttered something under her breath. And I knew immediately that she would curse me. So we pulled off into the side of the shop, and we're like, what was that? What was that all about? And so we just prayed, and we said, God, we thank you for the authority you've given us, and we just bind up any work of the enemy now in the name of Jesus. We submit to you, Lord. We resist the devil, and he will flee from us according to your word. And we pray for your blessing to be at work in our life in Jesus' name. That's all it took. It's a simple thing. But so often when we don't perceive these things, we're not able to resist what we're meant to resist. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, No weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord, and their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. So maybe there are things in your life that need binding up. Maybe God's going to highlight certain things that actually you need to actively resist. What things need loosing in your life? What blessings need to be loosed in Jesus' name? Perhaps more than what we're aware of in the natural. And my final point is this. You've probably guessed it. Life is in the power of the tongue. There doesn't need to be any brackets behind it. It's all positive. When we speak life, life comes. And I believe there's many ways we can speak life, but I'm going to highlight four small ways that you can walk in more life and speak more life with your tongue. The first is encouragement, by encouraging others. The second is speaking into things before they actually are. The third is proclaiming God's word. And the last is prayer, life-giving prayer. Let's look at encouragement just for a second. I'd encourage you to be the most life-giving person in your workplace this week. Why don't you build a reputation for yourself for being the go-to person when people need encouragement? Why don't you build into your life this attractiveness that people want to come near you because they know they are going to be encouraged? How about being the most encouraging person in your family that you look to highlight the best? How about this week you just choose to encourage one person per day 
every day of the week. And it's so easy, isn't it? We can just send a text these days. We don't even need to make a call or, or talk to them face to face. But if you can talk to them face to face, why not go up and specifically encourage them about something? That might be the very thing that person needs in their life that day. And they will be drawn to you because you are known and you are starting to build a reputation of encouragement. How else? You know people who grumble? People avoid them because their reputation of a grumbler goes before them. In the other way, if your reputation is to encourage, people will be drawn to you and you'll be able to, you'll have more friends. How about that? If you want more friends, be encouraging. (laughs) Secondly, speaking to things before they actually are. Where we are standing right now is a product of Steve and Angie regularly speaking about this place before it actually happens. They spoke about it. They spoke about the money that needed to be raised. They spoke about the money that needs to be raised. And they spoke about the money that needs to be raised. They spoke about the impact that this building was going to have on people. They spoke about the souls that were going to be saved in this place. They spoke about the worship times and the preach. They spoke about every single room and what was going to happen as a result of us being in this place. They spoke about it and spoke about it and spoke about it. And then this thing was built. A dream that was in their mind's eye as they spoke about it, became more and more and more of a reality. And if this is where we are now, guess what God's got for us in the future? So much. So much more. There's so, so much more. Imagine the impact in this city, this region, and this nation. And I just want to ask you a question, and it it kind of demands a response. What are you dreaming of? Write it down. Now, grab your pen, grab your paper, every single one of you. Find a piece of paper under your chair if you haven't got one, and write it down. Not dream like, I would just love to, I don't know, be a worship leader, but dream big. Dream beyond what is natural in your life. The sort of dreams that that person in your family that has resisted God so much and refuses to become a Christian, that type of person, I'm believing and dreaming for them to be saved. Perhaps it's the dream to be a major influence in your sphere of work so that generations are impacted by the work that you produce for God's glory. Perhaps you're believing for significant financial provision or for some of you, a job, just a job that's going to be a blessing to you. Perhaps it's salvation. Perhaps it's health. That just seems impossible. What are you dreaming of? For us, this might seem like a small thing for you, but it's a big thing for us. We, we need to expand, expand, expand our house somehow. And we've got a small house that's been expanded on twice already by previous owners. And so they're not going to let us do it any other way but build into the loft. And so we're, we're believing God for um, just a loft conversion. Now, we don't have that money naturally, but we're believing that before we need to save it up over years and years and years, God is going to provide it quickly for us so that we can make the best use of our house as much as possible. Now that's a dream for us, which we're talking about and we're praying about and believing God for to become a reality in Jesus' name. Call it selfish, but I think God wants to bless us. I believe he has his best intentions for us and we have no idea how much he wants to give to us and use us for his glory. The third thing, we've talked about encouragement. We've talked about speaking into being. And the third thing is this, proclamation. 
Speaking out God's word refocuses us from fear to faith. And when we do this, it has power to change us internally and give us boldness and confidence to walk in who we are in Christ. It has power. And what I'd love us to do right now, in your notes, you'll see that there's some proclamations. And I would love you to find them. There's some, I think, on the second page, and there's some on the back. And what I'd love us to do is to stand up in a minute, and we're going to speak these words out over ourselves. Now, generally, when we do this in church, what happens is we kind of murmur the kind of songs of praise kind of murmur of a prayer or something, which kind of has that male, oh, Lord, we thank you for all you're doing to us. And, you know, all those kind of dull-sounding prayers. I don't want us to be speaking this dully, dully, if that's a word. I want us to speak it with vigor and with confidence and with authority because this is what God says in his word about us. Is that okay? So come on, let's stand up, all of us, and we're going to speak these words of truth and proclaim it over ourselves. I'd I'd even say this. If you whisper it, the measure that you speak is the measure you are going to receive, right? And we're a smaller room than any other service, but we can make a louder sound than any other service that's happened today. And I want to receive from God again. I've been speaking this three times now, and I want to receive again from God what He's got for me. So let's give it some, some oomph from us. Is that all right? So here we go. One, two, three. I know the truth, and the truth has set me free. Because Jesus sets me free, I am free indeed. I have put off the old nature with its practices, and I have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of my Creator. As my mind is renewed by the Word of God, I am filled with the knowledge of the Lord's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I have the mind of Christ. I will draw near to the throne of grace with confidence so that I may receive mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. I delight myself in the Lord, and He gives me the desires of my heart. In all my ways, I acknowledge Him, and He directs my path. The Lord will perfect the things that concern me. God has begun a new work in me and will bring it to completion. I rejoice because I know that in all kinds of trials, I am guarded by God's power so that my faith will prove genuine and result in praise, glory, and honor to Jesus when He is revealed. I believe all things are working together for my good because I love God and I am called according to His purposes. So I will give thanks in all circumstances, because this is God's will for me. I will let the peace of God rule in my heart, and I refuse to worry about anything. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The Lord is the strength of my life. How does that feel? The strengthening of God's word as we speak it out has power inside of us. And if you struggle in the mornings particularly, and you need a bit of a kick in the morning, I just encourage you, read this out loud over yourself, even before you get out of bed. Speak the truth of God's word, even just saying one thing like, the joy of the Lord is my strength, the Lord is the strength of my life, changes our focus and gets us from fear to faith. Now we talked about one final thing, prayer. 
And I think prayer is almost the ultimate of life giving. And there's a story of a man who was going to a prayer meeting and he parked his car up, he closed the door. And as he closed the door, he heard this sound. People were singing, people were shouting, there were drums, there were instruments. It was loud, it sounded great. And as he walked across the car park, he thought to himself, this is going to be a great prayer meeting. And as he walked across, he felt God speak to him and say, I am going to work amazingly through this prayer meeting today. I'm going to really work through this and I'm going to do significant things in this place. So the man went in with faith. He knew God was going to do something. And as he walked in, he opened the door and to his surprise, he saw two people sitting in chairs, mumbling, murmuring prayers to God. In fact, all the way through that prayer meeting, for an hour, these three people mumbled and murmured prayers to God. Seemingly nothing happened. Nothing was significant. As far as they could see, there were no angels doing anything. Didn't feel the presence of God even. It was just dry. And he walked away and he was surprised and upset and kind of didn't get it. And he said, God, what was that all about? You said that you were going to move significantly through that prayer meeting. You said, God, what was all that noise about, God? Where did that come from? And God spoke to him and he said, what you saw was a glimpse of heaven when you pray. When two or three of you are gathered, I am there with you. And what you don't realise is those weak, murmuring prayers were moving heaven and earth as I positioned my people and my angels to do my work on this earth. And I just want to encourage you, every single prayer that you pray that is life-giving and praying into a situation to bring life and hope, it has power. And you may feel that sometimes your prayers are more wishful thinking than earth-shattering prayers, but they have power and they have purpose if they're spoken with life. And I want to encourage you tonight to keep on praying. And don't you dare give up, because when you pray, heaven and earth move to reposition so that God's kingdom comes on earth. And when you give up praying, there's no word of life coming out. And so what I'd like us to do today is to find that dream that you wrote down, find it on your paper, and to start to thank God for that dream coming into being. Because as we thank God, we thank Him for what He has done because He's out of time. You see, when we thank God, we say thank you, God, that you've done it, even though we don't yet see it because we're in this confinement of time. But we know you've heard us because you've heard us before you even prayed it. You've heard us, you've received it, and you've answered it outside of time. And so you're going to answer it now. So as we thank God that He's going to break through in our lives, as we thank God for that family member who doesn't yet know Him, as we thank God for provision, as we thank God for help, we are lining up with what's happening on heaven and what we want to see on earth today in this situation. Is that okay? But what it requires is your words and your mouth. Now you can choose to ignore this and you can choose to have a mouth shut or you can choose to open your mouth and to speak out life. Maybe you choose to keep your mouth shut. I can't help you. I really can't help you. I want to help you. I'm giving all my energy to be able to help you. But I can't 
cannot help you. You have to help yourself and you have to use your words. If you have never prayed out loud before, write it down and then pray it out loud. And we're going to speak for a few moments and speak out the truth of these dreams. Is that okay? So let's make up some noise and let's say thank God for the dream that He's going to break through now. So one, two, three. Thank you, God.